Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chugman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. My guest today is Jordan Gross. Jordan believes that personal development is a never-ending process of imagining who you want to be, interpreting why you want to be that person, creating a plan to get there, and then implementing that plan in the most enjoyable and fulfilling way possible. Through his platform, Imagitivitation, which is imagination, interpretation, creativity, and implementation, he helps guide people to think differently and make daring changes in their lives. Jordan is trailblazing in the personal development field by using creative storytelling to allow people to gather their own insights from the characters he creates and the stories he shares. He is a son, a grandson, a writer, speaker, guide, editor, and soon to be a therapist. He is a Northwestern and Kellogg School of Management graduate. He's a former startup founder, restaurant manager, and soccer goalie, a solopreneur, podcast host, two-time TEDx speaker, and he is the number one best-selling author of Getting Comfy, Your Morning Guide to Daily Happiness, and The Journey to Cloud Nine. And in this conversation, we discuss all of that and more. We discuss his circuitous journey into how he became a writer and a creator. And I love his outlook on personal development. He looks at personal development as a field as sometimes a little bit over-prescriptive, and it gives roadmaps and rules that we need to follow. What Jordan does so effectively is brings in storytelling and allows anyone who wants to go on the journey to go on their own journey. And that's really what personal development is all about. That to me is what life is all about. It's about going down the path that intuitively we know we want to go down. And in this conversation, we explore what are some barriers that get into the way of that. Maybe it's societal expectations. Maybe it's our familial expectations. There are so many different pressures that we get to be a certain way. And this conversation is a really great reminder for us that we always have a choice in becoming the person that we want to be. And we can start doing that today. He also brings in this invitational quality of we don't need to go so big when we're trying to make changes in our life. We can start really small and one step at a time. And a lot of platforms on the internet can go really wide and not very deep. And Jordan's approach is exactly the opposite. He invites us to go really deep and focus on even just helping one person at a time instead of trying to impact so many people and trying to go for the most likes. And it's such an admirable quality and it makes him so relatable and it's why I'm so drawn to him. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation. As I listened back to it, I took a lot out of it. Lots of good reminders for things that I'm getting stuck with. So take a deep breath. 
and enjoy this conversation with Jordan Gross. All right, Jordan, welcome to the playground that is Mike's Search for Meaning. What's up, my friend? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great to be with you, man. I've, I've really been looking forward to unpacking all of the different great work that you do and, and the great person that you are. I really wanted to go into your, yeah, what makes you you and, and how, does that, how do you express that through your work? And that all starts with our upbringing. And so I, I always ask my, uh, my guests, what was it like at your dinner table? growing up what was it like in the gross household at the dinner table yeah I love that question to start it's definitely different than I've ever gotten before so I'll try to paint a little bit of a picture so my my kitchen dinner table growing up was circular and it was so we were we're family of four so it's me my mom my dad and my brother on the circular table if you're looking at it straight on so like on your left side is where my mom always sat and then to her left is where my brother sat to his left is where my dad sat and then to his left is where I sat I sat where I did so I could peek my head back and look at the tv sometimes and my mom sat where she sat because she was and is the the cook of the family so she was closest to the kitchen and then my dad and my brother sat where they sat also because they could get like a little peek at the tv in case there were sports on or something the dinner table other than that was filled with all four of us as much as we possibly could um until i was in like ninth grade when my brother went off to college um we really made it a like a true mission to get the four of us together for dinner to chat about what was going on. It's some of my favorite things to think back on was that we made such a commitment to do that. Things got tricky here and there as, you know, it went from uh, a little bit more activity ninth to 12th grade. Like I remember I had soccer for it three or four days a week. So I wasn't able, we weren't able to do that kind of, everyone sits at the dinner. But when I was really young, that was where we bonded the most. So I appreciate this question, not only to bring up great memories, but also for me, like I, I happen to think that there's a pretty powerful connection between food and meals and also social connection and interaction. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like sitting around the dinner table with the people you love most or new people or whoever it might be and just sharing some, some food and good conversation. So that's, that's what the dinner table looked like. And uh, uh, it's always nice to get back there. You know, like during the pandemic, we did the same thing. We switched up the table, switched up the seating arrangements, but still just to sit around there and, and talk to people about our days and what we're, what's on our minds. Um, always, always good things to think about. So it sounds like you always had a, a safe space to be you. Like a lot of times when I ask that question, there's, there's a variety of answers I get, but one of them is I just had really quick meals and, you know, my parents were busy working all the time. Yeah. Uh, another might be 
it was a little tense. Like I was competing for airtime and I, I wasn't getting necessarily what I needed. And it sounds like all four of you were actually really in a nurturing environment where everyone got what they needed, even to the extent that like you were in your exact seat because it served your view and your mom was in like, even mechanistically, it just seemed to work out. So would you say that that informed your ability to like, if, if we move into like how you're able to step into so many different ventures in your life, actually, let me rewind a little. You, I think grew up in a similar setting. Like you grew up in an upper middle-class Jewish household and you grew up with friends that liked to party. And I know that you have that balance of like being the really fun outgoing person who like can go out and drink and also is this like nurturing sensitive creator. Mm -hmm. And I always found that to be really difficult to balance. And my, like my dinner table was similar. I, I got what I needed in my household, yeah. but I still didn't feel safe out in the world to be like my full self. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a long winded way of, of getting to what allowed you to feel the safety to like, be, you had different components going on. What allowed you to feel safe showing up to each of them? Yeah. So right now I'm training to become a therapist, as you know, right, Mike? And my internship is actually as a family therapist at a residential treatment facility for, for adolescents with substance use challenges. And to say that everything starts with your family would be an understatement because that is where you learn the majority of your behaviors. And like you're saying, if you're fortunate enough to come from a nurturing environment where you can create this, what I, I, I think of it as a secure base, then you're going to have the confidence and the belief in yourself and the comfort and the ability to pursue whatever endeavor it might be to, to act however you want to be knowing that you can come home to somewhere where you are accepted. That acceptance part is so huge because I would say that the theme in the kids who I work with who are anxious, have major depressive disorders, have substance use challenges with any drug that you can name, right? They're running away from something. And the majority of the time, what they're running away from is not feeling accepted for who they are and who they want to be and also not knowing who they are and who they want to be because that's not something that they've been able to explore in their households and it's a trickle-down effect I, I as a family therapist working with their parents or grandparents sometimes aunts uncles siblings right you know it's it's all based on how each individual was raised and what they experienced so to come back to what you were asking me about myself, knowing that I could come home to a place where I was accepted, where I could smile, where I could laugh, where I could get a hug, right? Like that was all that I needed. And so I try to bring things back to like the simplest terms possible. If I could come home to somewhere where I'm loved, where I have food, where I have shelter, like fulfilling those basic psychological safety needs on, on, my, on Maslow's hierarchy, that gives me 
the belief in myself to go be whoever I want to be. So that was so important. When it comes to this idea of social interactions and peer influence, that was always hard. You know, that was always hard. And I, I, it's funny, I was actually having this conversation last night with one of my other family therapy interns. I, I still struggle with it. I still have parts of myself that I hide in order to fit more into social norms, the friends that I hang out with. But I, I didn't really step outside of the stereotypical jock, student athlete, like economics major until I was like 23 years old, which is only four years ago. Like you said, though, I knew that something was different about me and there were always signs and ways that I was different. Like, kind of like you said, I, I was always, so growing up, I was a little overweight. I was never the, I had long hair, you know, my teeth were messed up. I was never like the desirable guy. So I kind of decided, I, I remember saying this to myself, like we would, we would uh, hang out with people and it would be like, oh, well, like who's the coolest kid in the grade? Who's the, who's the hottest guy or girl in the grade right and I was just kind of like well I'm, I'm never going to come up as that answer so why don't I pick something that maybe I could be blank of the grade and I decided to pick like the nicest kid of the grade mm. and I think that's done pretty well and and that desire to be like the nicest led me to uh, a lot of different spaces and and relationships which I really value so I think the message is like defining where you, what you want to be known for and, and how you want to see yourself. And also like having a little bit of honesty with yourself and realizing that maybe you can't be one of the things that you want to be, but maybe you could pick something else that's still really important and valuable. Mm -hmm. One note on your original comments about working with uh, people that have a, some sort of addiction. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Dr. Gabor Mate's work, but he does a lot of great work around addiction. And he says, don't treat the addiction, treat the pain. And so yeah. I just I just wanted to uh, put that in as a note because underneath every compulsion, whether it's like gambling, drinking, drugs, is something that someone's probably running away from. So I, I'm really glad that you brought that into the conversation. Oh, yeah, and for sure. That's that's a huge component of the work that we do. It's like, okay, we, we don't even sometimes, so they have to address their addictions head on at least twice a week as part of the program. But essentially the majority of the work is, is about the why, why are you addicted? What, what happened, what happened to you? Right. That's mm -hmm. Oprah's new book. And that's, yeah. that's the exact question that we try to unpack. Yeah. Beautiful. And so I think it even highlights even more like you and I grew up in really safe and nurturing households. We had mm -hmm. everything we needed and it was still, tough to allow ourselves to fully be seen like it still is to this day I in this yeah. conversation I I know that other people will listen to this but I'm with someone I feel safe with but if I was even in my group of friends right now like if there would be a part of me that would feel a little bit guarded yeah and I want to know like for you how does that how did that show up or how might it still show up and how yeah. do you 
like self-soothe if if you feel like oh this i'm a little tight right now like what what allows you to work through that yeah so i'll give you an example of like in my college years where Mm -hmm. like you said party it up i was drinking every night like as much as as one could known for being like the fun guy who whenever you needed someone to go out with i i would and it was always all, all smiles, no drama. That was, again, who I decided I wanted to be like. But I remember every Friday, Thursday night was a big night. We went to this place called The Deuce in Chicago or like right outside Chicago. And every Friday morning after a big night at The Deuce when everybody else was sleeping in, hungover, skipping class, I woke up and Fridays was, I was doing a certificate in civic engagement, which essentially meant that every Friday I was at a different volunteering opportunity around Chicago. So I would splash water in my face, get myself ready, shower, smack myself around, whatever I had to do. But I made sure that every Friday I did something to give back to the community around me. And I did that volunteer program when everybody else was like, what the heck are you doing? Like, how, why do you do this? You're such a, you know, this is so lame, like just chill a little bit longer. You know, let's just goof around, whatever it might be. I made sure that I did something on those Fridays, got my certificate in civic engagement (laughs) because quite honestly, like the message in the back of my mind was just don't, don't be a piece of shit. Like don't just sit around and waste what you're doing. And sure, were there days where I can sit around? Are there days where I can sit around and waste the whole day watching football or doing nothing because I'm too tired or, or hung over? Like, sure, that that's the, the grace that I give myself. But it was really about accepting the person that I wanted to be and accepting the criticism that I was going to get, right? Mm-hmm. And you asked this question about like, how do you give yourself like, how do, how do you do that? And I think something that I've always been really good at, which I think is a skill, is self-deprecation. So <laughs> I have, for my entire life, been not like, I don't want to say, like, I, I've, I am okay with being the butt of a joke. Mm-hmm. You know, I know, I know myself, I know that's cool. And the way that I think of it is that if somebody else has to attain pleasure from putting me down, then I feel like I can give them that because I've done the work on myself to really like who I am. So if somebody else wants to put me down to raise them up, then I can give them that. That's almost like a gift that I can provide for them. So I've never been afraid to be embarrassed. I've never been afraid to make fun of myself. I've never been one to, you know, go back at, well, in a fun way, but to, to really take it personally when somebody, you know, um, disagreed with my choices or told me that the way that I think is, is lame or corny, right? Because that's what it is. You know, what, what we're doing in how we think versus how we were raised is we're breaking the stereotypical view of of masculinity right that's Mm -hmm. that's really what it's about of of masculinity of 
social interactions of being like a student athlete or whatever it might be. And to have this understanding that you don't have to fit into a mold and you're this very complex individual, I've always been pretty okay with that. And, you know, maybe that comes back to the dinner table and being Mm. okay with who I am. Mm -hmm. There's also, there's an element of playfulness about it that you're, you're not taking yourself too seriously, which is something that I aspire to for myself because I historically have taken myself very seriously, Mm -hmm. which can be very fragile. If we, if we take ourselves too seriously, we're, that leads to people pleasing and, and all sorts of ways that you might compromise yourself. Mm. But before we get into your work, you did mention the work, mm-hmm. work that you've done on yourself. And I wanted to explore with you, like what, what have been, we don't need to dive really deep on this. I don't want to spend too much time on, on this part of it, but what has been helpful for you with regard to doing work on yourself? Has it been going to therapy? Has it been uh, some sort of introspection practice? Like what's been most helpful for you? That's a huge question. We could spend days on it. I kind of, I feel that, and by the way, that was a great summation about like not taking yourself too seriously. I think that might be top five most important things that about myself that I I try to Mm -hmm. reiterate every single day. When it comes to working on myself, I think I think it can be split up into a number of categories, but truthfully, when I started working on myself was really through podcasts and books and conversations with other people and just having this desire to like be a better human and being very intentional about what I consumed and then what I created afterward. And I think that the split for me is really, I never really think about it like this, but I'll try is really like my own physical well-being, And that includes my, my health. So like we, we did our health coaching, right? So that's what I eat, how I exercise, even like some, I'll I'll even throw in like spiritual health. So like Mm -hmm. breathing exercises, that's important to me. I'm not a big meditator or journaler or yoga person. So that's one space. And then I think the other is social, uh, my relationships, making sure that I'm connected. I've always been somebody to just reach out to say hi. That's always very important to me is maintaining relationships Um, so that's another whole bucket. And then I think another bucket is like, sort of like intellectual growth. Yeah. Um, so back in school right now, and then constantly reading and and reading articles and trying to learn new things. And then I think that that pretty much covers what I, what I try to do, but yeah, from a very basic standpoint, I would say that the concept that I, I try to have is like this lifelong learner concept yeah. and not taking myself too seriously, never thinking that I know everything. It's, it's kind of the opposite. Like I don't think I know anything. And then just kind of having this like very go with the flow mentality about my life, which is sort of balanced with a desire to 
achieve a lot of things, but not take them too seriously. Mm -hmm. And before we go there, you mentioned uh, podcasts, books. Yeah. Are, are there any, if you had to pick like one to three, what, what would you point people to that have been the most helpful for you? Um, for book, Tuesdays with Maury is my number one book viewing life through the lens of, of death is what that book is about might sound morbid, but it's not because it's such a powerful story and, and to learn about really what matters most in your final days helps you live all the other days more meaningfully. Mm -hmm. So that would be my number one book. Podcasts are hard for me because I really use podcasts now uh, to escape a lot of the okay. personal development work that I do. But I, I think that escaping and like fun and humor, like the podcast I listen to most is part of my take, which is a sports comedy podcast. I, I think that is my reminder to not take myself too seriously. Mm. Like that's that end. So that's what I use podcasts for now. Um, Audio books is something I use more for like the personal development side when it comes to growth and understanding about myself. Uh, one of my favorite audio books is Lori Gottlieb's Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, which is this concept in therapy. It's basically a, a way to present narrative therapy to the public, which is basically this, what's the story of your life and mm -hmm. how do you create the story of your life so that it's, it's a, a book or a movie that you want to watch or you want to read, right? So it's an unbelievably powerful look at how to create a, a better version of you through the lens of storytelling, which is what I'm all about. And then I think the last book I would mention, which is in this whole world of like powerful storytelling to learn about yourself and it's more professional, but um, there's this book called The Go-Giver, which I love, which for me, you know, the only thing that the only affirmation I have uh, that I actually have a, a poster in my closet. So I see it when I grab my clothing every day it says add value to others without expecting anything in return. Mm -hmm. And that's the concept of this book, the go-giver. And it's about the workplace, but it's a concept in, in all of life. And it's just this, this belief, like I, I truly do believe in like karma and really that what karma has become for me is that I like giving so much that just the act of giving is actually receiving like some a good feeling. Uh, so that that's, that's the last book I'd say. Yeah, beautiful, beautifully said. Well, I want to dive a little bit more into your work and, and your ventures now. And you wear all sorts of hats. So you're, you're starting to become a therapist. Mm -hmm. You have done, you've dabbled with coaching, you are a writer, you're a prolific storyteller. And I would bucket all of them actually under the umbrella of you're a, a creator, an innovator, and someone who loves helping people. So all of those are, are kind of bucketed together. And I want to start with around your work, like what's your, you, you juggle so many different things. And I think a lot of people might have the idea in their head that a creator is more helter skelter and not structured. And you, you seem to really balance both of these things really well is having the free flowing nature of what you do and letting things emerge organically. 
and also having like routine driven i'm i'm committed to doing this like five times a week at this time each morning how do you balance both of those things so well yeah so i want to just backtrack a little bit if that's okay sure just to 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 bring it full circle about the conversation we were having with like how much our families matter and and our security matters and having this this secure base matters right so have you ever read Adam Grant's uh, Originals? I haven't. I, I would love to. but Originals is a great, it's one of his first books. It's really amazing. And the subtitle is How Nonconformists Move the World. And I'm like, I'm literally 25 pages in, but I've, I'm so relating to it already. And there was actually this, this whole couple of pages in it about how creative individuals, creators or leaders or anybody who sets out to influence other people or inspire other people, the general belief is that they kind of go all in on what they're creating, right? Like Jeff Bezos went all in on Amazon or Steve Jobs went all in on Apple, Bill Gates went all in on Microsoft, right? But that's actually not the case the case is is actually having some semblance of security as you're pursuing these other endeavors. And what that looked like for me, my secure base was always knowing that I had a, a family at home who I can go to if I ever failed, right? I'd never be hungry. I would never be homeless, right? Um, so that was always my secure base. And now, as I move forward in my life, like my therapy work, that professional side is going to be my secure base. And while I have that stability occupationally and financially, I'm going to continue to pursue the more creative endeavors. And then there becomes a point where the creative endeavors may overtake. You might outperform or or, or over-deliver or just find yourself spending more time in those creative endeavors. And then that becomes, once there is some sort of security, that becomes your whole life. And you maybe take away that secure base that you started with. So that's why in what I do, I, I find, I find that I have the opportunity to pursue so many different things is because I have this understanding of security in the back of my mind. And the way that I treat everything that I do is very experimental. Like life is this experiment and it's all trial and error. And I want to have fun with each and everything that I do. So I try to, you know, challenge myself, do 90 podcasts in 90 days. I try to set these weird goals. Like every week I have to reach out to a hundred people, right? Like I try to make that a part of my routine and the way that I've been able to balance it all, like so simply is by one, writing everything down. Mm -hmm. I write everything down. Every single thing goes into this agenda that I have. And then I cross out when I'm done with the specific task. So that's like the daily component of it. And then I have more like weekly things that I'll write and they'll stay in that calendar for a little bit until I get to them. But it's always coming back to, to what's on that thing that I have not crossed out yet. Um, making sure I'm, I'm looking at it every day. And then the way that, right, so you mentioned this concept of like creativity sometimes comes from more free flowing. 
I've also themed like my days of the week sometimes. So now with school, I have to be a little bit more structured. So it's like, okay, Monday, I don't have class or inter- or my internship. So Monday could be more of like this, I don't have anything on the calendar kind of day. So I'm just going to let my brain do its thing. And maybe I'll write, or maybe I'll come up with the manuscript, or maybe I'll, I'll come up with a screenplay idea, or I'll, I'll do that. But then once Monday's over, Tuesday is class from 8 to 11, an internship from 12 to 8.30. So that has to be a very structured day. And in the middle of whatever hours I have, using those that time very intentionally to say, like, you have to send out five emails, you have to respond to six people, you have to put out content for LinkedIn, whatever it might be, and then crossing those activities off. And then sort of just making each day of the week have a particular identity and then, you know, sort of assigning that identity to whatever it is that I'm doing. Uh, and then really the, the biggest part is how it all feels, right? Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. the biggest part is how it all feels. So I don't do it on a daily basis, but I do have these sort of, I'm not as stringent with this, but I have these sort of impromptu check-ins where maybe I'm feeling like a little bit irritable and I'll try to take note of that and say, well, why what's, what's been going on. And maybe I haven't been feeling good with the identities of my days. Maybe I need more free time. Maybe I need to to take away an activity, but it's really based on what's going on in my life. If I'm feeling upbeat and energetic and happy and proud, then I'm probably going to continue what I'm doing. But anytime I feel like a little bit agitated or like something is bothering me, or I feel like I want to complain. I know that's not my, like my, my default setting. So that makes me understand that something is up. And that's when I do my deep dive introspection, introspection into what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, an example, and, and usually that comes down to a couple different areas. So I've got this, this six category thing for it. Like if you're feeling off, why? But for me, I always find that it does come down to my exercise and my nutrition. Yeah. I do find that to be the most important thing. So just the other day, like maybe two weeks ago, I was like, why am I so sluggish? Like, and then I was just like, oh, you're not, you're not doing your, you're not on a workout program right now and you're eating like crap. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it could be as simple as that. So there's lots of really tangible, practical actionable things that people can do. One is just write everything out. And, and even more specifically, it's like, how many, how many people am I going to reach out to? Like you said, I'm going to reach out to a hundred people, not reach out mm-hmm. to people. And the other thing that I really loved about what you were describing is there's a, there's a curiosity that you're bringing to, if I'm feeling a certain way, like, let's get curious to that. Why, why am I feeling irritable? And there's almost a forced pause and a step back and we're all smarter than we give ourselves credit for. If we reflect and like take inventory and stock of, of what's happening in our life, we can usually pinpoint like, Oh, this is what's happening. And this is why I'm feeling greater. This is why I'm not feeling great. But I interact with a lot of people who before any of this, like you can give someone really clear uh, guidelines and roadmaps and like, this is how it's done. But mm-hmm. there's the inherent 
fear of like, I hear so many people describe like, I would love to have a YouTube channel or I'd love to start a blog, but they're just, and I was like this too. We're so worried about what other, how other people are going to perceive it. Mm -hmm. And we don't get started because it's so overwhelming in the first place. So to, to that person, how would you guide them to like, you have this ability to say, I'm doing it for me. And if no one else likes it, then that's whatever. For someone like me who takes themselves too seriously, what would, what would you say to them to help get them started? That's a very specific question. So to answer that specific question, because you've given me like an archetype of individual. If it was anybody who just wanted to get started, I would say maybe do the mindset work in order to understand that you don't have to, you can just do this for yourself, right? But since you gave me like for somebody who knows that they take themselves too seriously and they want to start creating content, from what I hear, from what I understand from even just that question is that underneath it all, the people who you're afraid to judge you are the people who already know you, who might be your friends. You might be afraid of this social influence, right, of these individuals, and you don't want them to judge you. Yes? Yeah. So what I would actually recommend and what happened in my own career and down this path is I would actually try to create like this sort of new body of with the new body of work create this new audience and almost like this this version of you outside of your current situation right so for me I try to tell people who are concerned with what their friends are going to think of them I mean one don't don't you know publicize your efforts on social media obviously only tell a few people who you think will receive it well uh, and really try to grow an audience outside of your friends. It was not until I grew an audience outside of my friends that I really understood the magnitude of the work that I was doing and the people that I actually could help, as opposed to the people that I felt were going to judge me for the work that I was trying to do. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So that would be my recommendation is really, you know, try to do this thing in seek, I don't want to in, in secret maybe, or do this thing without talking about it too much with other people, have it be a part of you that, that you love and enjoy. And if the people who are too afraid, who you're too afraid to, to share it with out of, out of their judgment, really, you know, you can, you don't have to, you don't really have to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny. I, I asked this question to you thinking, yeah, I don't have too much to add to this. But as as you were speaking, I was actually reflecting on like when I first worked with a life coach, my main goal was just this. It was to like step into something that I my heart was behind and not just something that was making me money. And one of the exercises he had me do was to just pick one person in my okay. life and share with them my desire to do this. Mm -hmm. And, and so there's something really to be said about starting really small. I think a lot of us focus on the huge thing that we want. And, and usually we're following people that have been doing it for a long time and are already yeah. experts and it can make it really intimidating. But 
just sharing it with one person, like if that is challenging, which it was for me, like, don't be afraid to start there. That's, that's really what I would say for that. Yeah. I love that as small as it could be. Right. Like that's such a great point. And it's something that I, I really try to do. Uh, I always get asked like as a content person, like, what if you don't hit your targets or what if you don't reach your goals? What if nobody reads your posts? Right. Like mm-hmm. to this day, my goal for everything I do is for one random person to enjoy or reach out or comment or whatever it might be one person and overperforming now is what keeps me going. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and just the fact that I can change one person um, change the way they thought or change the way they looked at their day or, or change the way they acted or behaved. Right. Like that's so cool. I just yeah. find that really cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll even double down on that. And because I have every now and then I, I post something that get, I, I've posted a video that's gotten zero likes on LinkedIn before. Mm-hmm. And, and that really stung more than I, I mean, cognitively, I'm like, I get it. It's like, I'll make another one that's going to get more likes and that's not going to make a big difference anyway. But if you make that one person, just yourself, like if you're proud of, if you can really tune into like, I'm proud of myself for doing this, then man, that's enough in itself. Like that's, that's the fuel that's going to keep you going through anything. And it's, and so it's not anytime that we're, sourcing our approval to an audience i think it's a dangerous game uh, but i do i love your way of, of framing it too is that even if one person gets value from this like what's more meaningful than that yeah it's just really cool to think about yeah mm-hmm. so i wanted to now i'm going to zoom back out from your work into just personal development at large, because I, I love your spin on personal development. So what do you think, we've had conversations about this in the past, but what do you think is off with personal development in the way that most people consume it? I think that's a great question. And I believe for me, like, obviously it's clear with the space that I'm trying to get into. I think that Personal development is a process. It takes time. It changes. It's constantly evolving. It's a dynamic experience for who you are and who you end up becoming. And I think people don't realize that a lot of the time. So I think personal development can either get boring or overwhelming uh, like it did for me. But we had this conversation about how in the, be- in the beginning, you come into personal self-help, personal development you're in panic mode, right? You just want somebody else to tell you what to do. So you follow these prescriptive roadmaps, the blueprints for how you can lessen your anxiety or how you can make more money or how you can be a better, uh, get better in your relationships or connect with anyone, right? So you, you follow those roadmaps and you're like, wow, this is, this is really cool. This is great advice and it's working and you implement And you're like, that's great. I want more. So you go back to the personal development books and you find these alternative strategies and you say, wow, this one's great. I want more. It's so cool. Then you go back to the books, you go back to the podcasts and you learn something new. 
And when you learn something new, you, you implement it again. And you're like, wow, this, there must be more out there. But then when you start to get into it more and more, you realize you hear something that contradicts something else that you already heard or you've already implemented. And you try that and you think, well, this doesn't really this doesn't really balance out what I'm doing here, right? So now my personal development is starting to get a little bit confusing. And, and what I'm being told by this person is not what this other really successful person is telling me to do. So who do I listen to? And, and what I believe the, the real mistake is at the beginning of the self-help personal development journey is that people are not trying to create freedom of thought. And, mm -hmm. and this individuality of like the expression to think for yourself, you're thinking based on what somebody else is telling you to do, right? So again, when you're in panic mode, that's, that's perfectly fine. You and I both did it. We, we, we went by the book, we figured out our five-step morning routine and boom, our mornings were better, right? But once you start to progress and you start to really learn about yourself, you're a little bit more intentional. You start to realize who you are and, and how you're showing up every day, that's when the opportunity to think for yourself becomes more and more clear. And as you grow and develop yourself, it's like the most rewarding experience for me, at least, is when I can put things into my life that I can call my own. And I've been empowered not to just take what somebody else is doing, but to reconfigure what someone else has said as, as advice or prescriptive, prescriptive um, guidelines, and then make it my own, right? So what I believe is that people are not making it their own enough. They're taking too much advice as fact, as set in stone. They're not understanding for who they are and how the advice needs to morph into what kind of person they are. And that's where the main challenge is. It's like that the author of the book or the podcast host, they're trying to say that everybody is the same and everybody can follow these steps. If, if I did it, you can, it's that mentality. But my belief is that everybody is so different that you have to, you have to take the advice and, and bring it into your own life and take the little bits and pieces that work for you. And that's where the real work comes in. That's why stories for me in personal development are where I've landed as like a creator is if I can tell you a story and through that story, you have the freedom to say, wow, I want to think like you, or I don't want to be like you in that story. So I'm going to do X, Y, Z. That to me is where the real personal development becomes the most rewarding is if, if what I've done by telling you a story has empowered you to, to think for yourself and make a change or, or not make a change or whatever it might be. That's what I, that's where I think the evolution of personal development should go. Which is what I love about your work is that you do it through fiction. Another area that is aspirational for me, I, I don't really consume much, if any fiction for the most part, but fiction is actually, I think a really powerful gateway into personal development because you are you, if you're reading a story you can't help but place yourself in the protagonist's shoes and think how would I handle that what would I do similarly or differently than them how am I relating to them what do I admire most about them what do I disagree with about them mm -hmm. and 
I would love to, I know you've written several stories and, and several books, but is there, is there one that stands out as most emblematic or most memorable for you or like a character that you wrote that resonates most with you or any, anything of that nature? You could take this question wherever you'd like to. That, I, that I've written or that yeah. it's okay. Yeah. You could do both actually. Yeah. So I, I think the, the character that really represents so many different aspects of myself is Jerry from the journey to cloud nine, which was my second book, which was this allegory, this story about looking at your life and trying to bridge the gap between who you are and who you want to be. Right. And this character, Jerry, in that book is this older man who has lived this life based on societal expectations and, and what he thought the world wanted of him. So he was very traditional. He made his decisions based on everyone else, and he never really took into account his own heart or his intuition. So what I do in the book is I have Jerry, through like this visualized experience, relive his life if he made a certain number of pivotal decisions based on his own heart and his own intuition and you get to see these two lives juxtaposed one where he actually lived and and chose based on society and and norms and one where he actually went by his heart and his values so for me that's like my journey was it's Jerry sort of like a warning to myself to, to constantly think about who I want to become and my values, my heart, my intuition, and not really doing it based off of the societal expectation or like who other people want me to be as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I think Jerry is a really nice representation of living life and, and living out your story and sort of, you know, it's the journey to cloud nine. So it's about, you know, being the pilot of your own plane ride. So he is, he's really uh, representative of the mindset that I try to think about, which is living this, you know, story worthy life, a life that is exciting and experimental and has a lot of uh, ups and downs and roundabouts and zigzags, um, as opposed to one that is just, you know, linear and the concept of Jerry, like that comes through this idea I always have where I, I visualize myself as a, a grandpa and I have my kid, my grandkids on my lap and I'm in my rocking chair and telling stories. They're asking me about my life and I want to tell this story that is exciting for them. I don't want to just give them this story that is dry and basic and there's not much to tell. I want to give them all these different experiences that I've had, the people that I've met, the places that I've been, the work that I've done, the times that I failed, the times that I got super creative, the times that I was really dumb, right? Like I want them to know it all as opposed to this story that is, you know, very by the book that they can just pick up from, from any other person. Mm -hmm. And do you have, outside of your work, do you have another fictional character or, or it might just be a writer that resonates most with you with, with regard to blending the storytelling ability and someone who's either on like a hero's journey or someone that you admire as uh, an aspiration to look up to in personal development? 
for me, my number one is Mitch Albom because mm-hmm. he's not even personal development. He takes it to a whole nother level, right? Like he is a novelist and his novels, whether that's the five people you meet in heaven or um, I mean, Tuesdays with Maury's is, is nonfiction, but still got that same storytelling vibe or it's um, for one more day or his new book, like Strangers in a Lifeboat what he's able to do and make the audience realize and, and that he really says that he's done in his own life is appreciate the concept of meaning and fulfillment and what a life fully lived really means um, in each and every one of his characters and each and every one of his sentences. Like you can feel the power of what it means to give and what it means to be uh, more than just, you know, work towards something that's so much greater than yourself. Right. And to be compassionate, all of the stuff that he does really reflects those themes. And uh, before we start moving on, I I have some rapid fire questions I want to go through with you, but before that, you already are, you've already done so much impressive work and you're you're such an impressive person and i i believe that you believe that about yourself but you you brought up this uh idea of bridging the gap between who you are right now and the person that you want to be mm-hmm. and, and knowing that you've already done so much work on the person that you want to be mm-hmm. what is where do you envision yourself in like you know, it doesn't, I don't, I'm not married to a time frame, but five, 10, 15 years, like who is that person that you want to be? Yeah. So I, I like looking at this. I mean, you could look at this through the lens of like very tangibles. Like I want to be married. I want to have children. I want to be uh, writing, you know, I want to have five books by then. I want, but I don't really think that's what you're trying to, to get at with the question for me the person that I want to be at that point, nothing too complex in regard to new information that I'm going to share in 15 years, I want to have a million different more stories about things that I did, creative endeavors, creative journeys, whatever it might be. I want to have lived according to that mantra in my closet, like continuing to add value to others without expecting anything in return. And yeah, that, that's pretty much it. I, I want to make sure that the people around me feel like I'm somebody who they can come to for, for anything, right? Like that's, that's what's most important for me. Yeah, that's what it's all about. And I really love the image of being a grandpa on a rocking chair mm-hmm. with the grandkids around and, and they're going, grandpa, what, you know, tell us, uh, tell us about your life. And, and you yeah. are able to really be proud of of your response to that and not not be holding on to the regrets and the I should haves or I wish I did and uh, it's that's an image that I think will our listeners will really take home with them as something that they can reflect on and uh, I mean the, the theme one of the themes that you brought up earlier as well which I don't think is morbid I think that we have this aversion to it is we don't meditate enough on our death and uh, that life is finite 
Mm-hmm. And that that can actually be a really empowering way to start living the life that you want to live and not procrastinating it to some later date, which is unfortunately pretty conditioned in our society. A, a lot of people think that life might really start being fun after retirement or, or something like that. Right. So I, I hope that image of the rocking chair really uh, sticks with folks and, and they start, uh, if they're not already, start living with that in the back of their mind. And from here, I I have a few, they don't need to be rapid fire, but they're questions that I really wanted to uh, go over with you. One is, I know like for me already, mentors and role models have been so pivotal. I think Mm -hmm. it's, you're a trailblazer. I know this. So you, there's a part of you that's just like doing your own thing, but have there been any mentors or role models that you found most helpful for you personally? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think there's, you know, here's me with my different levels or different ways of thinking about things, but I really do find that there's different, there's different types of mentors for you to have. When I was young and naive and starting in this space, like I'm still pretty young and naive, but even more so, I thought that Simon Sinek or Tony Robbins was going to be my mentor. Right. And, and that's, that's who I was basing all of my, my stuff off of. And, and I would try my hardest to reach out to these like celebrities in in my world um, and get them to be my mentor. And, and most didn't respond, but sure, like one or two responded and that was so exciting and thrilling. And like how Elrod of the Miracle Morning became, I would even say like I was his phone number, like somewhat of a friend, but that's a mentor who's like a little bit still in the outskirts. You know, it's somebody who I admire, but it's more of a role model. Uh, so, so you can have a mentor that you, you try to, to emulate or you try to connect with once in a while, but, but I don't think it stops there. Right. I, I didn't really make real tremendous growth and progress and develop until I had my really the only person I would call a like a primary mentor, Rich, whose his name is Rich Keller, who's somebody I, I talk to weekly or text daily even, right? Like that for me in my journey, that was someone that I needed. Um and it's somebody who is just willing to put in the time and and have the care and 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 make the effort to be really as invested in my life as I am in my own, right? Like that's somebody you're really trying to look for. And truthfully, I think that can come from anywhere. Like that doesn't have to be the celebrity. That doesn't have to be the person who, if you want to be a, an author, that doesn't have to be somebody who's written six books that are New York Times bestsellers, right? Like that can be somebody who just, just wants you to succeed and wants you to grow. Um, so I think that's really important in a mentor as well. And then of course you meet other people along the way who you consider mentors, friends, you have these like passive mentors who maybe you never even get in touch with, who you just really appreciate what they're doing. So, yeah, I think there are these different, these different strata of mentors to think about. It's not all, it's not only about, or if you're, if you think like, like I was, it's not only about having like the number one person in the industry Mm -hmm. as your mentor. And that's going to change everything for you. No, it's, it's the number one person who's going to be 
as involved in your success as, as you are even more so. Honestly. Yeah. Is there, is there something in particular from Rich that has stuck out to you the most in, in terms of a lesson learned or, or something that he brings to the table that has stuck with you the most? Truthfully, there's a lot I can say, but to boil it down in the simplest terms, he just cares and he's there and he, uh, he wants what I want and even more so. And he's just, he's somebody who feels like the, he, he's somebody who has the mantra of what I try to do for other people. He adds value to me without expecting anything in return. And I think that's so great. Awesome. Another question I wanted to ask you was, I'm sure you have many challenges, many failures, but is there one in particular that stands out to you as at the time maybe was felt like a devastating failure or a challenge that you were really resisting and now you look back on it gratefully and and you learned from it and grew from it and it was like probably exactly what you needed. Does does anything uh, come to mind in terms of like a favorite challenge or favorite past failure of yours? I think my first job out of my master's program was a favorite failure of mine. When I was like 21, 22 was when senior of college. And then the year after is really when I deep dove into like podcasts and personal development and everything like that. So actually when I was a senior in college, I was doing the traditional consulting route. Uh, So this is another failure, but I didn't get any offers. Mm -hmm. None of the offers at the top firms. Um, So I had to figure out what I was going to do next. And I was still looking for something pretty traditional, pretty standard until I got into the Kellogg master's in management studies program. And that when I was doing that, that year was when I dove even more into it. I got involved in entrepreneurship, whatever, find your purpose, do something that you love, break free from the norm. And whereas all my classmates were going to marketing and and investment banking and consulting, I decided that it was my time to to break free. And I actually went into the restaurant industry. I thought restaurants were where I wanted to spend my life. I had this conversation with a a mentor at the the time who kind of told me like, you know, start now um, and then you grow and, and get into the industry. So I said, let's do it. Let's, let's go after this thing. Let's enter into the restaurant world different than nobody else is going to the restaurant world. I just did this fancy Kellogg degree and all of a sudden I'm going to be like a dishwasher at a restaurant. Um, so I did this management program and after four months I was like, this isn't for me. You know, restaurants are not for me. And it was this lesson that you don't have to, monetize your passion that I think is so monumental, so monumental. The fact that you don't, that I realized that I didn't have to monetize my passion after that is so big for me. And it's almost like this theory of art for art's sake, but even more so what you mentioned about that LinkedIn video is doing it because you're proud of it. Not anything else, not any monetary gain, not any, any, 
claps from other people. Like it's just because it's what you love and you enjoy. So when I quit that restaurant job, it felt like a huge failure. I had no idea what I was going to do next. I, I said, if I don't want to go traditional and I can't get into something that's creative that I can call my own, then what is there for me? But I mean, if I didn't do that, then I never would have gotten into this path and understanding that all I want to do is help people. And now I've created a number of ways to help people. And uh, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. This is a Brene Brown question. I'm poaching it off her, but yeah. I always love when she asks her guests this. I don't think I've, I've tried it on one of my guests yet. So what is an ordinary everyday moment from your life? Like a frame of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. I really enjoy like the, the time that I, it's, it's, it's pretty standard, but the time that I have in the shower. Yeah. Yeah. I really do enjoy showering. I think it's pretty, it's really some of my most creative times, which there's a lot of research on this, but um, yeah, I, I get so many thoughts and ideas in the shower and it feels so great. And it's almost like this cue, this trigger that I shower a couple of times a day. And it's like this, this trigger, like, okay, I'm, I'm showering to, you know, I just worked out, but I'm feeling a little tired. And now I'm showering to get back into the mindset of hard work, or I'm showering in the very, you know, seven o'clock in the morning to, okay, I'm refreshed here. I start my day, or I'm doing like a hot shower at the end of the day. So it's kind of like, okay, it's more soothing. And now this is the cue that your day is over. Now you can just kind of relax. Right. So I like that. I think um, I really enjoy that time for myself. Mm -hmm. The the forced unplug. That's why we get so many creative ideas in the shower. Before I get to my final question, uh, was there anything at all that we didn't cover today that you wanted to bring to our listeners awareness? The only thing that I try to mention in every podcast interview, it, really whoever I'm talking about is this, this concept of imaginativitation. Always want to mention that because that's my view on personal development. My view of personal development is that it's this never ending process of imagining who you want to be, right? Interpreting why that's who you want to become creatively making a plan to get to who you want to become and then implementing that plan through all the trial and error and fun stuff that we were talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. So those four words combined, I made into imaginativitation and that's how I try to view my life and who I want to be is by using that concept. So it's, it's just this fun word that I think sticks, even though it's hard to pronounce or spell. (laughs) I always like to mention that imaginativitation concept for, anything personal development or mental health related that I'm talking about. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And again, actually before my, my real final question, where can people connect with you online or, or look, look, uh, connect with your work in any way? So I'm just going to say LinkedIn. Um, if you want to connect with me, just message me Jordan gross on LinkedIn. That's where I will answer everything. And then my work can be found at jordan-gross.com. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll, I'll share both of those uh, in the show notes. So people will be able to just click on it and not have to write it down. 
So the, the final question that I ask all of my guests, you know, the, the podcast is called Mike's Search for Meaning. And you actually started to touch on this at one point earlier in the conversation and, and what constitutes a, a meaningful and fulfilling life. But I want to know for you, what constitutes a meaningful life? Yeah, so I, I uh, actually got this email yesterday from someone and at the bottom, there's this great quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. So I'm going to share that and say that it's very fitting for what you and I have talked about in this question as well. So it's a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote that says, to find the best in others, to leave the world a bit better, to know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived, this is to have succeeded. So I think that brings in a lot of concepts that we talked about today. The number one being for me is this one person mentality. Like if we change one person's life in some particular way, then that's what brings a daily sense of meaning. And at the end of our lives, we can look back and think about if we are meaningful or not to think about all of those people who we were able to, to impact in some way. Like that's, that's where the meaning comes in. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jordan, for coming on the show and for delivering all of the goods I know you're a few years my junior, but in a lot of ways, I really look up to you and admire you and the work that you do. And uh, I had the great experience of being one of those people that you uh, touched and connected with. And I know in the beginning of my journey, I was reaching out to people on LinkedIn and uh, it always meant a lot to me that you took the time to, you, we sat down at a Starbucks in, uh, yeah. in Murray Hill and, uh, yeah, I, I felt like I was fully seen when I was with you. You were, uh, you you offered to be one of my initial clients when I was uh, coaching in the mm -hmm. beginning, and yeah, I'm sure that you touching one life is enough, but you've touched many, and uh, I know that you're going to continue to. So I, I really appreciate you and and having you on. To all the listeners. I hope that you have a great rest of your day or evening. And if you just make one person's life better, that is meaningful and that is enough. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.